Welcome to the EuroCLIO podcast, Pastimes Talking and Teaching History. My name is Andreas Holtprege, and I'm joined by a new co-host for this episode, Rebecca Jackson. Rebecca is a volunteer with EuroCLIO and has been uh, working on our podcast as an editor for the last few months, and I'm now very pleased to have her joining me as a co-host. In this podcast, we discuss with two teachers the many different methods and challenges that can arise from assessment in the classroom, and today we have two guests, Rita and Christoph. Christoph Scheibold is a trained elementary teacher working in the secondary section at the International Montessori School in Brussels, Belgium, and he works as a mathematics, geography, and art teacher. He is also the owner of the bookshop The Treasure Trove for English Literature. In 2019, he was one of the finalists of the Global Teacher Prize, and he also writes a blog, Educational Journal, to share tips, tricks, and thoughts about education. We're also joined by Rita Mikola. Uh, Rita is from Finland and graduated from the University of Tampere as a historian and teacher of history and social studies. She has been teaching in both lower and upper secondary schools since 1994. At the moment, she teaches history, social studies, and Russian language at Karakalio School in Espo, Finland. She has been involved in the Finnish History Teacher Association since 1998 in different uh, training activities, working groups, and representing the association. Rita is also known here in the EuroCLIO community as she was uh, president of our association uh, between 2019 and until the spring of this year, 2021. This podcast episode is part of our thematic month on assessment. You can also check out our webinar series on the topic through recorded seminars published on our YouTube and other social media channels. Well, uh, thank you, Rita and Christoph, for joining us for this conversation about assessment in schools. Um, our first question is for you, Rita. So research on assessment um, often focuses on the, the term summative and formative methods of assessment. Um, could you for us break down briefly what those terms mean and how they might work together or also differ from each other? I would say that formative assessment is it's an ongoing process and the aim of it is like assessment for learning, not what students have learned, but like to help them to learn better it's it's what actually it's what we uh, teachers are doing all the time like saying okay that was fine and could you could you explain a little better and and so on so it's it's encouraging students and and going forward and it can be written or spoken often it's i would say it's it's it's, it's spoken but it can be like uh, also you can give some grades and and or verbal, it can be verbal as well. But then summative assessment is the, like, how would I say, like the traditional assessment, what, we, what has been like there for centuries. Final assessment after some unit, a year or half a year or some semester, whatever. So it's, it's, it's what have you learned? How has it been? And, and usually it's based on criteria or I, I would say it's based on criteria. The criteria might be in the head of the teacher, like it can be some very unconscious as well. But I'm talking about this because in Finland now we, we are changing to the criteria-based system. And I've been thinking about the, the, what the criteria actually, what they really are. And, and summative assessment is usually, uh, it's grades 
which are numbers or in some countries letters, but it's like one, two, three, four, five, and five is the best. And this is what you have learned. Christoph, did you want to speak anything to that? Do you have anything else to add on formative and summative methods? Yeah, um, well, what Brita has said is right. So uh, I'm working with that as well. I, um, I am a strong defender of the formative assessments. Um, like Rita said as well, it could be verbal, it could be written. I think it is the key because you teach the child um, to learn for him or herself uh, because you you allow the child as well, even um, uh, making mistakes as part of the process uh, because it's non-judgmental. You help the child throughout a way towards the re uh, a result, if you want. So you prepare the child to be ready for summative assessment. So if we, I'm a big, sorry, I'm saying a big defender of that as well. Under 12 years, and I think the Finns in Finland is how you work as well. Um, below 12, I am strongly defending the fact that summative assessments should not be applied, um, let's say consciously, if you want. Um, that should all be formative. Uh, so the child has no pressure of um, um, representing him or herself in a way on a written format, for example. I think that this pressure that is unnecessary, whilst if we allow the child, okay, I learn through, because important is something as well, there's no right and there's no wrong, right? As well for teachers, there's no right and no wrong. Um, there's only careless. Uh, and children need to learn that mistakes often are based upon, uh, I was just careless. And through formative assessment, they, we can guide them to learn that, okay, you can avoid carelessness uh, if you prepare yourself, or if I help you, let's put it that way, to prepare yourself towards an outcome. Voila, that's why I'm big defender of that. We should start um grading children after 11 12 years with the letters numbers uh, whatever it is so they can as well understand um i don't know that's what i'm thinking voila <laughs> thank you i actually i just wanted to uh, follow up with a quick question then on to you uh, when you say 11 12 i mean there are also some uh, school systems where they don't do um, grades at all. What, what, what do you think about, about that, actually? Yes, so I, again, uh, because there's something that happened at 12 years, something is happening, right? So there's a change of understanding. It's the famous teenage years that kick in. Uh, you have the pre-teenage, 13 years is in front of the door, right? there is a, a, a global change within these children, right? And understanding is different as well. They have a conscious mind, understanding where I can now finally have, if you want to say proper discussions with these children, right? About Because they have an opinion. They get opinionated in a different way because they have a yes, no, I agree, I disagree, right? So at the moment now, if I have prepared them until that age to be playfully learning to be um how do you say like formative assessed and the is it like learning through failure that's a big thing that i'm going by as well but failure is a big word but i can help i could even if i am that's why come careful or careless or whatever you want to call it comes in the game is i can 
tr um, help the child or I can even um, manipulate my form of assessment in a way that I am a bit more targeting, okay, there might be failure. Um, another thing is some, there's another thing as well, testing, the, the word test, right, until the age of 12 is non-existing. This is a adult invention that we throw into these children, like towards the children, already at the age of six, you will be tested. If you would take the word test away yeah, and just like, hey, let's whatever, I have a name for mine, but I'm not going to tell you because it's mine, um, there, where these children can uh, just do their, like the formative the assessments is in a playful manner, everyone says. So even though I'm working on paper, they get graded or they get an indication and all of that, but avoid the word testing until the age of 12 when society is in front of the door, the thing is they come up with the word testing. It's not me. All of a sudden they go like, ah, oh, it's a test, isn't it, Chris? Uh, yeah, it is, but well, if you want to call it a test, then you call it a test. I'm not calling it a test because, all of, because it's me as the other, I give that. And all of a sudden already in little children at the age of six need to be like, oh, I have a test. Why, why, why you don't need a test? At the age of 12, 13, they come up with that. And then they understand as well why society does that. Uh, they will see, okay, I'm working towards, I need to um, prove myself. I need to do th a little bit things for other people uh, because one, I would like to have a, let's say degree and yeah, this is then how society functions. And I think that's the right thing to do either, right? You cannot avoid testing until the age of 18, 20. That's not possible mm? because otherwise, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we have an agreement, right? We do say, okay, we need to come to a certain point uh, and therefore you need to perform. Voila. Rita, any, any response? Do you agree with, uh, with, with 12 that where, where things change as well? My students are from 13 to 16, so uh, I don't know how they have been when they are younger than that. But I think this is, this is very difficult because the, maybe they have reached the magical 12 years already. But they, they also like testing is, is part of the motivation. It can be very bad, but it can be in a positive way, like they want to learn better because they want to get good grades. So like wor world without tests in an ideal world, it would be great, but I don't see it in practice to work in practice. I, I, I agree. I just, what, I am, what I'm referring to is that we need to be careful that because what is happening nowadays in traditional systems, if you want, or in all the systems or everywhere is that the moment you put testing in the game, they do it for you. They're not doing it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So at the age, let's the magical 12 to 13 years, it's a different understanding. They can I, I identify themselves and you. They know, okay, you are a teacher. You have, your job is to teach me, right? So of course I have expectations, right? But at that age, they have or are supposed to have expectations upon themselves as well already. Then they're testing a different ball game. If they are younger, a seven-year-old all of a sudden has the 
the feeling that, okay, I need to be, I will be tested, but I, I'm doing it for you. You're my teacher. I love you. Uh, so I'm doing it for you. And then if it doesn't work, and the worst thing is then teachers that oh, I fail. It's the worst than teachers say I fail. And my aim is to I fail as a teacher if these children are not having the grades they're supposed to have, right? And that is also the, 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 the wrong. It's wrong. <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking it's um, for nowadays, it is not it's wrong. It's the wrong approach. I don't believe in that anymore. I think it is wrong for um, to become a critical and independent worker. You need to learn to do it for yourself and not for the adult that stands in front of you who thinks is the big kahuna. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's not. It's not. Um, it's not the role of a teacher anymore. That was in the 50s and yeah, the 60s. So, so uh, Christoph, I, I want to ask you something here because you're also, um, yeah, you work in a Montessori school. Um, and I was wondering, could you explain a little bit about how this type of school and its assessments differ from more, let's say, conventional in quotation mark schools uh, or the assessment systems that are being used else elsewhere? So uh, in a Montessori school, uh, usually you don't assess mm, until the age of 12 if you want if and, uh, we can go back into formative uh, so everything in the Montessori school is formative a big key in Montessori is the teacher is the guide and through observation so formative assessment is in Montessori you observe the child and you see is he she um, able to do to perform is it good enough so then we come into individualized education Right, it is not the the masses uh, that is taught in one go. So, and that 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 we play or that in Montessori schools, uh, you of course you want to have certain you have certain expectations and you want to help the child to reach a certain level. Otherwise, it's not working. You want to prepare the child. Uh, the outside world is always lingering around uh, and eyeballs what's happening. So, and that teachers know so we do and often um, by surprise it actually works even better because coming back to the fact the child is doing it for him or herself uh, and then towards 12 well there's some Montessori schools who go into secondary um, uh, some change systems uh, we're working with the IB system uh, the international baccalaureate and of course then the outside world comes in and then you have those assessments, formative, summative assessments and uh, the classical approach. Yeah? You have the grading and all of that and stuff. So, but until then, you help the child to, <clears throat> it's not even just enjoying childhood. Yeah? Maybe it's just be a child yeah? as long as possible and don't live at the age of 10 already in the world of these adults who think this is important because if you don't perform correctly and you then hmm, that's it. I mean, many, I know other traditional, well, um, they do already do these things. It's not that it's just wrong. Huh? It's just what is doable also, huh? how much has the state in and how much. So these things, but I know that uh, um, nowadays uh, um, other school well, teachers, school systems are do the best to because it's it's outdated again. So I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> so 
that's what I can say. Something that was coming up in our webinar series that um, we've also had some online webinars the last month and something that came up there was that a lot of teachers find that students when you are giving a summative assessment or you're giving a grade they often end up looking at the grade and not maybe the comments made in the margin of the essay or uh, I was wondering maybe first to you Rita and then Christoph does this happen to you and if so how do you try to get the students to also look at uh, at the comments as well well the answer uh, is that yes it happens not always but uh, not with all the students but yes it happens and I've been thinking about this it's I think the the key question of everything is the motivation so the motivation is 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 the if the teacher and the and the learners if they are like learning for learning if they found it interesting if they if they see that the, this is this is like our discussions and what we're doing is is interesting and i want to learn more then it's it's assessment is something which is which is not the biggest part of the learning process but if the motivation is gone then it's 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 really difficult because then then in finland though we don't have so many tests so after the ninth grade the students get their place in the sec upper secondary school uh, according to the grades what they got get in the ninth grade so of course they if they want to get in a good school then they they want to get good grades so then the grades become very important so i would say that like if the learning is a process first of of, of it it's the motivation and then the second thing is that if the learning is a process, if like, for example, if students are writing something, if they write the first version and then the teacher comments and then they, okay, this is this, I could do this better and this, and then they do the second version, then it's, it's, it's more for learning. The bad thing with this is that it needs a lot of time. So in practice, it might be difficult, but it's that, that helps for the, to think about the learning, not the what grade will I get? And then another thing is this, and this goes to Christoph as well, that what kind of system there is, the system of teaching, the system of assessment, or the system of education, it, of course, it means a lot. So if you have like national exams every year and so on, so what to do? So that's why I'm, I'm really happy I'm, I'm teaching in, in Finland in a lower secondary school, because we don't have national exams. Our curriculum is very free, so we we really can like talk a lot and discuss and think about what we are doing and try to try to think about the motivation. So I would say that helps. Christoph, do you have any also yeah, no, experience with this? Yes and no, because I know uh, like in um, the state exams that usually are before you enter in secondary that in Belgium it's happening as well I know in Italy it is happening you know in France they have something apparently in Finland in Germany you don't have that right um, I know the famous SATs in the US that as well at that age of 12 we need to have a certain knowledge in order to continue um, I, I know that is um, I see we see it here in Belgium um, it is a big hassle often um, so some children, because it's basic knowledge that they have to have in order to continue. Yes, and no, it is not wrong. It is not right either, right? It is the state requirement. Often children um, 
learned as in half a year everything they need to know throughout uh, or in a year's time so that's that's what it is uh, so if the state requires that um and if you when or children or families need to um, want to continue and need to perform according to this yeah that's that's what it is right but until then if you do it right um through formative assessment and the child is not afraid of the testing uh, because he knows and he she is self-confident enough to go into that then it shouldn't be a problem uh, because it's all what it comes down to am i afraid from the testing what are my weaknesses um, have i prepared it with and throughout and then of course a bit of um, um study at home probably is required as well there's again there's no right and no wrong if the state this is asks for it then it's just a way of how you prepare the child towards it maybe it's a nice time to bring in another question that we had to um may first you read it and this a bit what we've already been saying how much freedom do you feel that teachers have um, in how they assess their students, given a lot of European countries have a preset curriculum or a, a national test that they have to follow? I know you said being the lower secondary, it isn't as much of a problem, but maybe you can speak to the general situation in Finland as well. Well, in Finland, overall, the teachers have a lot of freedom, really a lot of freedom. We don't have like, like nobody's checking us there are no persons who come to the school or whatever and the curricula is, is is it's not very exact so it's the the whole system is based on trust that the teachers do what they are doing and of course if, if it's based on trust then it's in practice sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse yeah and this is like the real life so overall, our first national exams are when the students are 19 in the end of secondary school. That's the first state exam. So before that, all the exams are like teachers made their own exams. For example, if some teachers, if they don't want to have like tests at all, they like just assess all the time. So that's fine. But now now we, like I said, we, we have the criteria assessments we started this year like the ninth grade when the students get the final grade from history and social studies i'm teaching social studies as well so then they should be pre, uh, based on criteria but but because we don't have any checking so i'm not so sure if it happens in the practice so perfectly let's say it this way Interesting. And Christoph, I know as you spoke that the, the Belgian system sounds like it's relatively rigorous. Does that affect your school system as well? Do you have to comply with those national guidelines or are you able to kind of um, have some more freedom? With it? Yeah. We have a bit of freedom, a bit more, uh, but obviously again, um, coming back to expectations and from outside, parents, teachers, like ourselves also. Um, there's the British curriculum, there's the Belgium or any kind of curriculum, even the American. Um, it doesn't really matter. At the end, it, uh, the aim is a bit the same everywhere uh, in, a, in a way that you want to bring the child to a certain point to be able to perform um, in what is coming up in the especially secondary so that they know 
the basics and it's it starts with the grammatical structures with the multiplication tables whatever you name it right and how do you bring the child towards there and i think that a little bit what rita has said also that in finland they have a bit more freedom regarding that i'm in a lucky position as well or meanwhile i'm teaching secondary the step from um primary to secondary i'm in between um that uh, that we can help the child to be performing according and having less to worry about. I mean, it's the main aim now. We want the child to be ready to enter secondary or when they are 14, 15 years old, not to be worrying about nitty gritty things anymore. And that I think that is our responsibility. And I know state systems have that as well. They know, okay, you go from A to B to C to D to D and so forth in order in, that you can perform later on without any worry. It's just a different approach and a different uh, support. But at the end, the aim is the same. So moving on to something a bit different, actually. I, I, we've been living now through a, a year and a half, almost two, of a global pandemic. In your experience, assessment changed in light of the move to online teaching. And will any of those changes roll over to the new normality, uh, the new normal? Um, from my uh, experience, no, and uh, and not a, a lot. Like from, from my, not, not a lot will roll over either. I think it is. Uh, uh, we were a bit in a lucky position also that we had um, not where the first three months, one and a half years ago, um, yeah, but we could juggle it uh, in a way that even online through. Um, this formative assessment and the work they handed in um, was was actually enough to be on top of things. So that's from my experience. So it was not, uh, not not much will roll over either. So <laughs> uh, my experience is I have been distant teaching like the first spring, like almost three months, and and this spring five weeks or something like that and like maybe what has changed is that i'm thinking about that the assess assessment has to be more like process like on all the time going on process so not like only okay now we have the test now we have the test like when you are distant it's much more difficult to get the connection with them and discussions are more difficult so that's really not so nice so then you have to like make the students do things online so they they write much more and then they what they do their small researches they will be uh, assessed but i think like for me it's it's more the understanding that the tests are less important and like the what we are doing every day that's more important for assessed assessment as well because anyway the like i said before i think the motivation is the this the most important thing to want to learn because it's interesting speaking about modes of online assessment something else that came up in the webinar series was that some people or some teachers found students that might not normally speak up in class for example maybe were more likely to i don't know how you organize your lessons but maybe write a comment or post something in a blog or, you know, however, they might be more comfortable um, in written form than in speaking. I'm not sure if that's something that you also found through your work. 
Yeah, yeah. Distant teaching is, is I, I found it that it's, it, it suits very well for some students, not for many, but for some, and some really get lost because it's, it's too difficult for them. So it's for us, it, it somehow was the experience was that those ones who, who have problems with at school, they often had more problems while distant teaching. And some, yeah, yeah, Rebecca, you're right. Some, some of the like shy students who are better in writing. Yeah, yeah, I found that as well true. Yeah, that has to do with the different types of characters eh, of mm, the personalities mm. of the children. And uh, obviously the ones who are maybe more active uh, in, uh, in the school system who are, um, I don't know, unfortunately the troublemakers, which are actually are not the troublemakers, they're just very vivid, um, have it more difficult on, on an online teaching than the ones who are uh, maybe the dream students or the ones who can work of course, can perform completely, completely different. Huh? So, yeah, of course, that is, but there you need to know your children um, and then you can um, adapt that also through online teaching. I don't know. It is, uh, of course, I mean, even in the classroom, you, you know that uh, you have these 25% uh, who are more in that direction, who are more the active ones, who are maybe... Then you have the, I always, we always, oh, it's like 20, divided by four, 25, 25, 25, and you have those different characters, right? And uh, through online teaching, of course, some came out more and had it more difficult than others. But I don't know. Since it was a short term um, scenario, uh, even on like three months is not a long time. I know in other systems or in other countries, some children were not in school for over a year. And that is something where I say, wow, that is, uh, that's tough business. I don't know. So it's um, definitely not the ideal scenario. Presence, like to be in school is much better. <laughs> yeah. In Finland, the upper secondary schools in, in capital region, they have been distant teaching almost for a year. So it's, it, it's really demanding. And the students especially are really tired. They want to go to school. They want to meet their friends. But actually, what, what I started to think now, we have started our semester. I've been teaching already for two weeks. So what I appreciate now much more in the lessons that the students are really there, I think I, I make much more that, okay, now you you four persons, you discuss together and you discuss together. We, we do much more like discussion in small groups since they are there and we can do it very easily. So maybe this is something... Well, what the distant teaching has taught me that this is this is something which is really nice to be in the classroom to be able to discuss and not take it for granted i suppose mm, yeah many things are there yeah, for sure um to move on to maybe just like a couple um quick questions to kind of round it out how much do you have to consider the parents as well when you're giving students feedback or how do parents maybe sometimes get a bit involved in the that discussion? This is a tricky questions, question because parents are very different. And some parent, parents are very encouraging and some parents are very passive and some parents want to study instead of the students. So it really depends on the parents. We try to get the parents to know how the students are studying, how they are assessed, 
but then sometimes when the parents start to write the essays instead of the students, then it becomes difficult. Let's say it this way. Yeah, that's, I think that's a global issue. Mm -hmm. Some parents do, it's, I don't know, it, the younger the children are, the more you educate the parents, um, the older um, they get, the children, I mean, not the parents, um, the um, obviously, uh, it, it changes also because the independence is different. Parents would like to know um, feedback should always be given if I think the door in a way should be open for parents to come and ask questions at any time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is something, um, but we need to keep it simple also because uh, again, we're not there for the parents, we're there for the children, right? And if uh, the children are happy, the children are happy, the parents are happy. So I hope ideal scenario. So, <laughs> but um, therefore, um, and not, none in the last years where it was dramatically um, overtaking parent involvement. No, 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 the opposite. Some, I do agree with Rita, Rita, some would like to um, help the child in the utmost possible. Uh, and, uh, but this often backfires because um, we know that the child alone would not be able to perform in that manner if, if we know so. And therefore, yeah, you can only talk to the parents and say, ah, maybe don't do it or don't do, or just do this and uh, don't do this. Uh, that's not the way to go because you don't help the child. Um, you help nobody actually. It's an ongoing, uh, ongoing um, not an issue, but it's just daily life, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully you have good um, colleagues in your class and also who are um, in the, let's say, head of schools or directors and all of these who help you um, to not be, when you need to be there, but you, if you have a good team and people who as well can protect you, um, I think that is super important. Thank you. I, I wanted to ask, um, between you, you have quite a bit of teaching experience, uh, I think. Um, and I wanted to ask if you have one single tip that you could give for younger teachers or teacher students when it comes to assessment. It is super duper important that young teachers know there is no right and no wrong. Yeah, because anything you do, you do because you have a name, right? What is the worst, uh, it's not scenario, but the worst thing that one can do is to be careless. So if you are careless, then it, it's completely wrong, right? That is, that is not a good thing. So if a young teacher starts, I think you have your good intentions, of course, again, coming back to the team, you have your head of school or you have your director and people expectations, you need to bring in your planning or you need to show what you, if you don't have a state, some have state curricula and you need to follow it through, that is it. And that is something, it's the worst when it is careless and you just go, uh, you know, a, B, C, D, and this is what you do. I think that is something I would, um, young teachers, because the most biggest problem probably is to be um, afraid that one does something wrong. It's the same when it comes to formative or assessments in general, it might not work, but it doesn't matter 
And what Rita said as well, you can always readdress it again. Uh, and a big defender of that as well. You can, if something is wrong and this is time consuming, as you have mentioned, but sometimes you need to take the time to revisit the whole thing again in order to help the child without being judgmental and say like, oh, you did, it's wrong. No, it is not wrong. It is, there's this, uh, what is it? Um, fail stands for first attempt in learning or something, right? So, and this is what it is. Uh, you need to see it always that everything they do is the first attempt. Sometimes it works until you come to the final assessment, which is then summative, but the older they are, the more accepting and understandable they are these children. So I would give to young teachers, keep it simple. Uh, don't be too judgmental with yourself and don't be careless. Voila. I can continue what, what Christoph said. Yeah, I agree with everything. When you're starting your, as a young teacher, I remember when I started, it was like, like the, the workload is so massive. You have to learn everything. And, and I didn't do anything else than like, planning the next day lessons for the first year so i would say have mercy on yourself and i like what, what has helped me is when when i came to the school where i was so one of my colleagues said that oh i i've learned from the my older colleague who was a librarian that there's always the loss like i don't know is it in english that way that like in a shop in the shops always uh, some products get lost so there's always the loss and that's that's in life everywhere so you can't be perfect Okay, not everybody learned everything. Okay, but that happens. I tried. I tried anyway. That, yeah, that, that's, and that's another thing that is often in traditional systems sometimes not working so easily. It is that, and the younger the children are coming back to that as well. Um, yeah, time is often what goes against you, uh, and some children maybe. Uh, I don't know, in the Finnish system, maybe you can, because you have the children for a certain amount of years, uh, and you can then say, okay, this year, this did not work, but I can do it next year, because it has to do with maturity as well. Some children do, again, understand things differently when they are a little bit older, and then all of a sudden, it all falls in place, right? Mm -hmm. But in some system, it's hard, because you need to perform as curricula is demanding it, and then yeah, some children just need more time and time is the biggest um, enemy for some children. That's why then they need to double the year or mm -hmm. so that is, uh, it is what it is, obviously, but um, that should be in the educational systems and all over the world, uh, it should be re-addressed uh, that maybe time could be an answer to solve many problems. Uh? <laughs> If you give the time, mm -hmm. then it should be fine. But no, everything needs to be done in a certain amount of time at that date and that assessment and that and that. And then all of a sudden they fail, fail, fail. And then in, in many European countries, they split the children and they are according to the performance. They go into this continuation, others go into this continuation. Whilst if the child would have stayed another two years, he might have ended up in the gymnasium instead of in, I don't know, you know, but we don't give a chance to some of mm -hmm. the children because at that day, at that moment, you need to perform according. And if you don't, then you are in that drawer. Uh, and it's the state who has decided. And that's, I don't know. I think we could have much more, um, many, many more 
open, I don't know, minded people uh, ready to change the world. Nothing against the, the one, the plumber and all of it. It's not what I mean. Uh, that's not it. But it should still be by interest, not by what well, it is at the end anyway, by interest, obviously. But uh, I don't know if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. Time, time yeah. is often, yeah. It sounds horrible in my ears to divide children when they are 11 years old. So like, okay, you go here and you go yeah. there. Yeah, that's that's really too early. Thank you so much, both of you, for, for having joined us and for sharing your, your experiences and your thoughts on, on, well, not only assessment, on, on many, many topics of relating to, to education. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you both so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you.